0: All right. If you got a Bible, you know what to do. Grab it, open it, turn it on. Follow along on screen in your outline, or use the Central Church app. If you don't have that, I encourage you to get it. Our messages are on there. The outline is on there. You can fill it out digitally, send it to yourself. Um, our announcements come through that way. If you want, if you opt in. Um, To that, to receive those that way. Um, But whatever your mode of Bible reading is, turn to Matthew chapter 14. That's where we're going to start today. Uh, This is week number five, which is actually our last week of this series called The Master of the Miraculous. And over the past several weeks, we've been taking time. Um, to look at some of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Bible. Not all of them, that would take a few months, um, but some of them, and talk about how they apply to our lives today. Because it's really important when we read the Bible, we don't just read it as a history lesson, but we read it to understand how is this applicable to me today. And I'm telling you that everything that happened then can happen again today. I hope you believe that, because I believe that with all of my heart. If it happened then, it can happen now. And so the things Jesus that did then, I believe he still doing them today. And so that's what we've been talking about this series. Next week starts the Christmas series, and how ironic that it snowed today, and we're talking about Christmas already because it was like warm last week where I was at, and I was thinking Christmas service and series. Anyway, um, our Christmas series is going to be a ton of fun. We've got a lot of things planned um, throughout the month. We've got family connection time. We've got um, outreach things planned. We've got the concert. We've got all kinds of different things. Um, we'll start talking about those next week and setting up um, the series, let you know when our Christmas service times are and all of that. Today, I, I want to start out like this because it just snowed. How many of you are excited about the snow today? Yeah. How many of you are not excited about the snow? Because you had to go outside and do what? Shovel. I had to go outside. I had to shovel this morning at six o'clock and I had to shovel because my son doesn't live with me anymore, which is ironic because my son was at my house last night. See, he's in town. He came to town about two in the morning um, because he had a hair appointment this morning. He's getting a curly perm. I have not spent a dime. On my daughter's hair throughout the years, I spent like ten thousand dollars on my son like that's like backwards isn't it not like kind of messed up and so anyway, I had to go out and shovel and I started thinking about how yesterday like in the morning it it snowed a little bit and we were all panicked because of church and what do you do at church when it snows and you got to cancel or you got to stop one service and you got to combine this and people won't go out in the snow. And then you got to pay for somebody to come to the parking lot. And and we were kind of going through all these scenarios early in the morning and then it all melted. And I was like, I think it might snow again. And everyone's like, oh, it's just going to snow a little bit. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And then we wake up and it's like three inches or or whatever. And so it, it causes chaos it causes panic. That's what storms do in our life, right? Like like we think it's fine, we think it's not going to be that big of a deal, and all of a sudden we're like all out of sorts trying to figure out what to do. Everybody in here knows what it's like to be in a storm. As a matter of fact, I like to say everybody in here is in one of three places. You're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, Or there's a storm coming your way that you're about to go into. And and that's not me being doom and gloom. That's just the reality of life, right? All of us in this room have been in a storm. Some of us are in storms right now. Storms are something that all of us experience. And they're not just something on the outside. They're not just something that happened around us. But they happen inside our hearts as well and inside of our minds. And so Matthew chapter 14, um, in this series, I've been in, in John And in John chapter 6, there's this story that Matthew tells as well, but Matthew gives us a little bit more detail to it. It's the story of Jesus walking on water. This story, this miracle, there's so much going on. The disciples, the 12 men closest to Jesus, had just seen Jesus do some incredible stuff. And then they hit a storm. And when they hit the storm, they forget everything that he had ever done. Doesn't that happen to us? Don't we do that? Don't we get into the middle of a storm and we forget everything Jesus had ever done? Don't we forget that he says, cry out? Don't we forget that he says, look for him? Don't we forget he says, listen for him? We get into the middle of a storm and we reduce the size of God to our current situation. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And let me set it up like this. I got to set it up this way. I've got to set it up by asking this question, but I don't want you to answer it because this is central and I know my people, and I know the answers that I'm going to get. Normally, I would do a hand raise. Don't raise your hand. Do not answer this out loud. Just keep it to yourself. As a matter of fact, the best thing you can do is just look for it. Don't even look at me. Just look past me. Listen to this. Answer it inside of your own head. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't laugh. Don't do any of that stuff, all right? Because here's the question. Have you ever been high? Have you? Like Keep it to yourself. But have you ever been high? I'm not talking about you had a good day. Praise Jesus. Everybody's so awesome. This is just great, greatest day ever. I'm talking about an illegal substance, or maybe maybe it was medically given, but you used it in some way, shape, form, or fashion, and you were high. Now, many of you know I had surgery back in September on my foot, and I was terrified, not about the surgery. What about taking pain medication? Because I had a problem years ago abusing it. Not just addicted to it. I was, I was abusing it. It was bad. And so I was talking to the doctor. I was talking to the surgeon. Like, hey, you know, I had this problem. I don't really want to take the pain meds. What can we do instead? And they're like, really? There's nothing we can do instead. You're going to be fine. I'm like, I'm probably not going to be fine. And they're like, you're going to be fine. I was like, I'm probably not going to be fine. And they're like, yeah, maybe you're not going to be fine. And so we went through the thing. And, and anyway, the first couple days, I was fine. And then Friday... Friday, everything that I had taken kind of caught up with itself, and I was like, high. Like, really high. I got up the next day, and I told Mary, no more. No more of this stuff. Throw it away. Get rid of it. I'm only taking Tylenol. And I did. I fought through it for like a week or so. It sucked, but, but I made it through it. But here's the thing. That Friday night, whoo! man, I was happy I watched TV, I was happy. I don't know what I watched, but I was happy. I listened to some music, I was happy. Like everything was going great. I was having a good time. I laid down, I took a nap, I was happy. I woke up and the medicine had wore off. I'm not happy anymore. Because the high was gone. You know what I'm talking about? Don't answer. You know what I'm talking about? The high wears off. Now Let's discuss this. When I was high, Would you agree with me that that's not a great time to make a life-changing decision? Like seriously, when I was high and I was just so happy, would it have been a wise thing for me to call my real estate agent and say, hey, it's a house I want to buy. Let's go get that thing. No, because you don't make decisions like that when you're high. Would it have been a great idea for me to call my financial investor and say, hey, I want you to take all my money. I want you to move it over to MySpace. It's about to make a comeback. Let's go. (laughs) No, because I'm high and it's not great. It's not a great time to make decisions when you're high. The same thing can be true spiritually. I love being spiritually high. Everybody in this room, you know what it's like to be spiritually high. If you've walked with Jesus for any period of time, you've had a spiritual high. You've had a great day, you've had a great week, you've had a peaceful quiet time, or you've listened to a great message, or a podcast, or you've experienced a great church service, and you know what it's like to be spiritually high. I love that. I love to be spiritually high. I love it when Jesus is at work in my life. I love it when I can feel his peace and his presence and his mercy. Like, I really, really, really do love that. But listen, don't miss this. When we're spiritually high, that's not the best time to make life-changing decisions. And I'm gonna prove it to you. I'm gonna show you this by pointing out a few things in this miracle of Jesus walking on the water. So here we go. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, all right, hold on, let's stop and talk about this. Because you love it when I don't read through an entire verse, right? So immediately after this, anytime you see that, you've got to stop and you've got to ask yourself, what? What happened? Like, what happened right before this? Well, the thing that happened right before this is the miracle that Pastor Gary preached about last week. Jesus fed 5,000 men. And when you add the women and children in there, it's probably fifteen to 20,000 people. Jesus fed fifteen to 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, the disciples had been following Jesus for some time now, and they had seen some amazing things, but nothing like this. I mean, think about this. For them, being with Jesus, man, sometimes, sometimes they had great days. Sometimes things were awesome, Following Jesus, because he was drawing crowds and and, and they weren 't teaching, but they were with the guy who was doing the teaching like they weren 't the preacher, but they were on staff, and so they were getting a little recognition like they, they knew who who these pe- people knew who they were, and every once in a while. Even though they were having great times, every once in a while they would get into some trouble. Every once in a while they would have some bad days. Like there was a time that Jesus wanted them to go to a certain place, and they said, "We don't want to go to that certain place because the last time we went, through the, we went through that region, Jesus, hey, you remember? Like they were throwing rocks at you, but since you're fully God and fully man, you somehow could dodge the rocks, or they went right through you, and they hit us. Like we don't like that. They they were experiencing some trouble. They were experiencing some pain. They had some difficulties. There were some bad days with them following. Jesus. Now at this point, they also weren't quite sure who he was. And nobody had ever seen a miracle like this. 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. This is a miracle of epic proportions. I mean, and they're thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's legit. This guy is awesome. Peter, he just fed 20,000 people with a happy meal. This is amazing. And I'm pretty sure that they were all like, we have arrived. This is it. He has called us, and we are here with him. He's going to set up a kingdom right here in northern Israel, and Galilee, and we're going to feed people and it's going to be awesome and people are going to come to us because they need things that are going to be great. And Peter's probably over here. He's got a selfie stick and he's taking pictures and (laughs) Andrew's shaking hands and Bartholomew is like signing autographs or whatever. Like they're super excited. They're pumped up. They're on a spiritual high. Because while they weren't the ones who did the miracle, they actually got to participate in the miracle. Because you remember, they're the ones taking the baskets and passing out. And they brought back more baskets at the end after everybody had it, and enough to eat. And it was crazy. They're on the spiritual high thinking, this is awesome. That is a spiritual high moment. And then Jesus calls a meeting. And Peter's like, uh, hold on, Jesus. Like, there's lines of people here that want to see me. Like, look, look, Jesus, over here. And Jesus saying, yeah, yeah, what you need to do is you need to come here. And then verse 22 continues, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent people home. Now, if you're a disciple right here, you're ticked because Jesus, are 20,000 people. There's all these people wanting to see. Jesus, you just did this miracle with like the bread and the fish. And Jesus, they're about to make you king. We're not going to be king, but we're going to be like vice kings or whatever because we're hanging out with you. People are here to worship and to see us. And it's great. To them, to the disciples, this was amazing because they were getting discovered. They were nobodies. They were ragamuffins. They were outcasts. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. And all of a sudden, 20,000 people are surrounding them, and they're excited about who they are. They're, 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 they're happy. They're filled with joy. They're in this moment of like, yes, this is great. Like, we're with Jesus. There must be something special about us. And people were saying that. You're with Jesus, something, should, something must be special with you. And then Jesus, after one of the greatest miracles that he had ever performed up until this point, he tells the guys who think they just had their breakthrough moment, they're on this spiritual high unlike anything they had ever experienced, Jesus said, hey, what I need for you to do is, I need you to get back on that boat and go to the other side of the lake. And so if you're one of the disciples, you're like, uh-uh. There's nobody excited for us on the other side of the lake. I mean, over here, Jesus, like this is it. Jesus, if you send us over there, you're taking away all of our attention. Jesus, over here is where we want to be. If we go over, Jesus, you're taking something away from me. Do you know that there are times that God will take something away from you? That God loves you so much that sometimes he'll take something away from you? Because we'll get to the storm in just a little bit. They're going to go through a storm. And that's where the miracle happens. But the storm on this side of the shore would have been worse than the storm they're about to get into. I mean, on, on this side, had they stayed with the crowd, they're going to be tempted by pride. They're going to be tempted by maybe we're awesome, maybe we're incredible. Maybe we're in the best place that we could ever be and we're never gonna move and we're always gonna stay here and we're gonna build a monument and everything's gonna be great and it's gonna be awesome and we're not gonna let anybody else in. This is gonna be our place when actually they weren't the ones who even did the miracle. And so Jesus says this. Jesus says, hey, I need to remove you from a tempting situation. I know you're high right now. I know you think you've arrived. I know you think this is awesome, but I need you to go somewhere else. And on the way there, I'm going to teach you something about me that I couldn't teach you over here on the shore. So what I need you to do right now is I need you to shut up. I need you to get in on the, on the boat, and I need you to go to the other side of the lake. And the disciples are ticked. And they're on the boat, and the Bible says this, verse 23. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Why did Jesus go up into the mountains to pray by himself? Now, again, I could spend the next several weeks talking about this, but I'll try to do it real quick. Because haven't you ever wondered that? Why did he go by himself? Like, he's just done this cool thing. Disciples are excited. People are happy. Like, why did why didn't he get in the boat with them and just go? Well, we're told in scriptures multiple times that Jesus is fully God and fully Man. And I've told you, in this church, we've got to be on the same page with that. No compromise. If you want Central to be your home church, we've got to be on the same page. Fully God, fully man. Like, that's who Jesus is. Fully God and fully man. Well, we're also told that because he's fully God and he's fully man, that he was tempted in every way. In every way that we're tempted. In every way they were tempted way back then. In every temptation that came his way, Jesus was tempted, yet he did not sin. And so think about this for a moment. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. If the crowd of people and all the fame and all the recognition and all of that would have been a de- temptation for the disciples, then do you think maybe it might have been a temptation for Jesus as well? I'm, I'm just asking. So Jesus, for whatever reason, had to get by himself and connect with his father. And, and this is important. I'll talk about this in a few minutes. Where he went Where he went to be alone, it's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. They say that there's literally nowhere on the sea that you can't see from the place that Jesus was at. And so even when the disciples are in the middle of the storm, they were never out of the sight of Jesus. Don't miss that. He saw them in the middle of their storm. And so he's in the hills. He's praying to his father, which this is just a great place to pause and ask this question. What are you doing to intentionally spend time with Jesus on a daily basis? What are you doing to intentionally spend time with Jesus on a daily basis? Now I'm not asking you that to make you feel bad, to shame you, or guilt you. But listen, I don't care if it's 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. You need to spend time with Jesus daily. Because that one-on-one time, that, that one-on-one time, that's where personal growth and connection is going to happen. Hey, listen, if Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he needed time to re- reconnect with his Father, so do we. Just, just throwing it out there. Connect daily. He's up in the hills. He's praying. The disciples are in the boat. And all of a sudden, you see this. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, which is not where you want to be in a storm, in a boat, far away from land. For a strong wind, a strong, a strong wind, a strong wind. A what? Remember that. We're going to come back to that. A strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, there's a myth in Christianity, and I talk about it a lot, but it's the idea that if a Christian is going through a tough time, if a follower of Jesus is struggling, if something hard is happening in their life, it's evidence of their sinfulness, just sin in their life. They're just sinners. They're getting punished because of the sin in their life. No, 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 no. They're good people. Like, I know them. They're doing stuff. They're, they're living right. Well, then it's probably secret sin that you don't know about. The reason they're going through a tough time, the reason they're struggling, and the reason they're going through something like that is because there's secret sin in their life. And, and we've heard things. We've heard people say, well, if you follow Jesus, it's the safest place to be. If you're in the arms of Jesus, when he's wrapped you up with his love, nothing bad will ever happen to you. You just need to follow Jesus. The only problem with that is, when we study the lives of people who actually follow Jesus, at times, all hell broke loose in their lives. And I say... Going through a tough time, being in a storm, struggling is not evidence of your sinfulness. It's evidence of your significance. The devil is going to leave you alone unless you have significant value to the creator of the world. Yes or no? Yeah. Because think about this. I'm going to ask this question. This is an easy question. Everyone can get this one right. Who sent the disciples into the storm? Some of you don't know. Who sent them? Jesus. Jesus. Where in the world did we ever get the idea that Jesus is a happy pill? Jesus sometimes will send us into a storm because in the storm is the only place that some of us can learn. Amen? Now, let me say this. Sometimes we cause our own storms. We do. I mean, I've met people. They get in their car. They go on their weather app. They find out where the tornado is. They get in their car. They drive right in the middle of the F5 tornado. Now, if that happens... And you blow up your life for you to say, oh, my God, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? It's on you. Listen, don't miss that. Some people, we drive into our own storms. But in this text, the disciples are following Jesus. They were doing everything right. They're checking the boxes. They're dotting the I's. They're crossing the T's. And they wound up in the storm. And then they're probably asking themselves, hey, um, are you all sure he said get in the boat? Like, like, are you sure he said that we need to come? Like, anybody remember exactly what he said? Where is he anyway? Where's, where's he at? Why is he not with us? John, look to see if he's got Life 360 turned on. Like, where, where is he at? They're wondering where Jesus is. And I'm saying this because you might be here and you're in the middle of the storm. And in the middle of the storm, that's when the enemy can step in and start telling you things like, yeah you ain't living right man you're not on the right track you're not you're not doing i know people are telling you you're doing a good job but you ain't he can mislead you he can take your eyes off of jesus but one more time let me point out the reason they're in the storm is because they're following who jesus Where in the world did we get the idea that the man who said, pick up your cross and follow me, was calling us into a life that was easy? Where in the world did we ever get the idea that he would call us into that life and then we somehow could make it through that life without him? So they're fighting and there's a strong wind. Verse 25 says, at about three o'clock in the morning, That's, that's like Waffle House time. You know what that is? Some of you don't know what that is. Like, I was just down in Arkansas for a conference, and there are Waffle Houses all over. Where I come from, there are Waffle Houses. If you don't know what Waffle House is, you don't know what Waffle House time is. Waffle House, 3 in the morning, uh, you watch online the next day. Like, that's, that's what's happening there, all right? At 3 o'clock in the morning, nothing good happens at 3 o'clock in the morning. Teenagers, nothing good happens at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes, it does, Pastor Ryan. Nothing not sinful happens at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, other versions, the King James Version says, in the fourth watch of the night. And so scholars believe this is anywhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So listen, Jesus sent them out in the evening and then sat down and prayed on the mountain. He can see them in the storm, but why did he wait so long? Have you ever done that? You ever gotten through a storm and you've been on the other side of it? You're thankful for what you learned in the storm. Jesus, man, I, I did so good and everything was so great. And now I can help other people and things are awesome and I can do this. But, but you're thinking, like, hey, thanks a lot, but um, would have been way better had you shown up earlier, Jesus. At 3 o'clock in the morning, listen, don't miss this. He could have come at any time. But he came at the darkest point of the night. And do you think these men, by the way, out of the 12, seven of them are experienced fishermen. So when the storm first hit, they probably thought, hey, no big deal. You five, calm down. We got this. We've been out here in this before, man. This is fine. It's fine. But after fighting the wind and the waves and the rain for hours, do you think at any point they were about ready to give up? Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus waits on these men to understand, hey, if we don't get some help, we're not going to make it through this. And by the way, me personally, I don't know about you, this is just for me, I have had to learn the hard way that sometimes the storms in my life are nothing more than opportunities for me to rediscover how much I actually need Jesus in my life. Because for me, if it wasn't for the help of Jesus, that storm that was supposed to kill me probably would have killed me, but it didn't because he showed up. And he showed up, not in my time, but in his time, and he showed up in a way and in ways that I would never expect to see him ever. Because watch this, verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on water, when they saw Jesus walking on water, this was their response. They saw him walking on the water. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Notice the exclamation point. They're freaking out. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. One of the things that bothers me is when you hear people teach about this passage and they preach about it and they try to tell you what they would have done had they been there. You ever met those people? I don't know why they said, it's a ghost. If I'd have been there and I'd have seen my Savior walking on the water, I'd have said, worthy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. No, you wouldn't. You'd have crapped your pants just like they did. Seriously. Because Jesus showed up. And, and, and don't miss this. Don't miss this because this is so good. Jesus showed up in a way they had never seen him before ever see sometimes he takes us through a storm so we can see him in ways we had never seen him before and whether we caused the storm or the storm came upon us start looking around because jesus always shows up in the middle of a storm let let me be honest with you had i not gone through some of the storms i've been through i would not know that jesus can deliver you from addiction I would not know that Jesus heals. I would not know that Jesus is into this thing called restoration, that he's all about it. See, I wouldn't have known that just by hearing a sermon. I would have known that by reading a book. I only know it because he brought me through the storm. He will bring you through the storm. And when he does, he will reveal something about himself to you that you had never had experienced had you not gone through the storm. So they're in the storm. They're freaking out. And let's be fair. It's windy. It's windy rainy there are waves They're on a boat and 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 they see him but they don't really see him you know what i'm talking about you ever met somebody and you couldn't see them can't really make out who they are because they're so far away like they couldn't tell who he was and so verse 27 says jesus spoke to them at once let me say this jesus always speaks in the storm jesus always speaks in the storm he always speaks in the storm. I used to teach, the teacher never talks during the test. And, and, and I taught that because I thought it sounded good, I heard it somewhere, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense, man. And that's why I can't hear Jesus in the middle of my storm because the teacher never talks during the test. That's kind of true, right, teachers? You don't talk during the test unless you're yelling at the kid, hey, knock that off, keep your eyes on your own paper. And, and so that, that, that's not really accurate teaching because Jesus is always speaking. The problem is we don't always listen. He'll always speak in the storm. And he says this, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Now, if you go back, this is a little Bible nerd nugget here. This is probably just for me. But if you go back to the original text, he says this, take courage. I am. That's all he said. Hey, I'm, I am. Uh, right here, I am. And if you go back to um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is staring at the burning bush, and he asks, like, who, who are you? What's your name? God answers him, and God says, I am. And then Moses says, all right, you want me to go to Pharaoh? You want me to tell this stuff? Who should I say sent me? And, and God says, you tell him I am sent you. And so right here, Jesus is saying, hey, take courage, I am. In other words, I am God. I just thought that was cool. Anyway, back to the story. Jesus spoke to them at once. Now, now think about this. He spoke to them. He just spoke to him, Fully man and fully what? God. Fully God. Fully man. And I've told you for weeks in this series, the Word of God is what brings the miracle. It's what brings the healing. It's what breaks the chains in our lives. It's what calms the storm. And so think about this. When Jesus is speaking, it's the Word of God. And so they can see him, sort of, but they could hear him. They could hear Jesus but they can't clearly see him. They couldn't see him clearly, but they could hear him. How did they hear him? Remember, what what did I tell you to remember? What element did I tell you to remember? The what? The wind. The wind. The wind. In the New Testament, the wind, many times, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So the wind carries the word. Isn't that good? See, when we get in the middle of the storm, the Spirit brings the word that we need to hear when we 're in the middle of the storm, the Holy Spirit brings the Word from God that we need to hear, and so if you 're in the middle of a storm, start looking for Him. And start listening for him because he's going to show up and he's going to speak. He always does. That storm's not going to kill you. He always speaks. In fact, somebody here today, you're here because you went through a storm. And at one point in your storm, you wanted to give up. But Jesus showed up. You saw him. He spoke to you. And it should have killed you. But you didn't just survive it. You're thriving through it. But the problem is, we get into another storm. And when we get into another storm, we get amnesia. And we forget all the storms that he's actually brought us through. And sometimes we just need to stop and say, God, thank you for that time. Thank you for that situation. And if you brought me through it then, you can bring it through, bring me through it now. Because he's faithful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will always, always, always follow through. And so if you're in the middle of a storm, you're not there because Jesus wants to destroy you. You're there because he wants to deliver you, not, not from it but through it. So he says, take courage. I am here. Now, here's what's funny. Jesus says, hey, guys, it's me. And then, I've told you this a lot. You ever want to feel better about yourself? You just need to go read about Peter. Like, if you ever feel like you're the biggest screw-up in the world, open the Bible, read about Peter. Because Jesus says, hey, guys, hey, calm down, chill, it's me. And then the very next verse, verse 28 Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, it's me. Is it? Is it it you, Jesus? Is it you? Dear God. Jesus probably said, dear me. But Peter calls out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, Peter, I find this hilarious. Peter, an experienced fisherman. Peter ain't never seen nobody walk on water. Peter probably never even had the thought, hey man, wouldn't it be cool if we could just walk across this leg and we know how to get on the boat? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Peter's never seen this. And who knows where the thought came from? Like, call me, or like, let me come out. Like, he's, he's basically giving Jesus an impossible situation because he's in a crisis of faith moment. This is what he knows. This storm is rough. This boat is going down. That man is standing, and I would rather stand with Jesus on uncertainty than to certainly sink in this boat. So Jesus, if it's you, if it's you, and, and we've been told not to do this, but I'll be honest with you, I do it. God, if you really want this to happen, I need confirmation. God, if you're really speaking to me, if you really need me to take this next step, I need a sign. I need for you to do this. Now, don't ask for something stupid like make two rats run through my living room or something like that. I'm not saying ask for a crazy sign. But he's asking God, I need to know. I need to know it's you. I need some confirmation. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But he's asking for something crazy. If it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. He's, He's had this spiritually high moment. And now he's in the middle of this crisis. And he forgets everything that happened. He forgets everything that Jesus could do. And he's like, hey, if it's really you, then I need to see this. And then Jesus calls him out on it. I love that. Because see, we pray all the time. God, I'll do anything you want me to do. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Just get me out of the storm. And then Jesus says, okay. Calls you out. And you're like, "Uh, I don't really mean I'll go anywhere, anywhere. I don't really mean I'll do anything, anything. Jesus is going to call you out. He calls Peter out right here. The wind carried the word to Peter. Peter hears a word. And then here's what's fascinating. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. I, I can't even imagine what this scene is like. Can you imagine the other disciples? Peter, shut up. What are you doing? Peter, that's, that's, that, don't say that, Peter, walking on the water. Like nobody's ever walked on the water. That's the worst idea you've ever had. That is horrible. Thomas, think he's gonna make it? Doubt it. Doubt it. Judas is over here trying to make money, selling tickets or whatever. I mean, they're, everybody in the boat is screwed up and messed up, and they're freaking out, because now Peter is stepping over the boat, and then Peter starts walking on water, and he's walking towards Jesus, and then the very next verse, verse 30, but when he, what's that next word say? What's it say? Saul. Remember that. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted, now, if you've been in the church world for any amount of time, you've heard this story, you've heard this preached on, and, and you've heard this, right? But think about this. When he saw the strong wind, listen, I got some great glasses. I got some incredible contacts. I've never seen the wind. I've never seen the wind. Oh, have, Pastor Ryan. Well, remember that high question I used to start off this message? You've seen it at Waffle House at 3 in the morning. <laughs> you've seen the effects of it but you've never seen it. You have never seen wind. You've seen what it can do, but you've never seen it. How do you see something that's there, but you can't really see it? Well, maybe Peter was looking for it. Maybe Peter was looking for something. Maybe Peter was looking for something to sabotage him. Maybe he was searching for something that would tear him down. Maybe he was looking for something that would drown him, and he started to think, whoo, is that the wind? Do I I see the wind? And his negative thought patterns took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. There are sinking people in this room. And the reason you're sinking, I'm going to preach to Ryan for just a minute right here. The reason you're sinking is because of the negative thought patterns in your own mind. There are things like a compliment. You can't handle a compliment. Somebody tells you something nice about you and you won't believe it. You shut it down. Somebody tells you you look nice, you don't believe it. Somebody tells you you're smart, you don't believe it. Somebody tells you you're strong, you don't believe it. Somebody tells you you preach good, you don't believe it. Somebody tells you you can overcome the problem, and you don't believe it. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I heard this psychologist, psychiatrist say that some people have up to 20,000 negative thoughts about themselves a day. And there are some people in this room, you're sinking in the middle of a miracle, because you're telling yourself, uh-uh. no way, man nothing this good could happen to me. There's no way God could use me. There's no way God wants to use me. There's no way that God has called me. I don't deserve this. And, and you'll see things that aren't really there and talk yourself out of the miracle that Jesus wants you to experience. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else i say today, you need to walk out of here with this. One of the biggest battles in the life of a Christian is the battle for our mind. One of the biggest battles that we will fight on a daily basis it's the battle for our minds. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about these things. Think about those. Don't, don't think about the stuff the devil is telling you. Don't think about the stuff you're not good enough, you can't do that, you're not called. It, like Anytime I get myself all worked up, I have to take myself to this verse. Think about those things. And so Peter's fighting this battle, and he's terrified but he gets the prayer right. Now, Peter got a lot of things wrong, but this prayer right here, like like, have you ever heard somebody pray and you're like, man, that was so magical and powerful and godly. I should never pray again. (laughs) Like sometimes that's me. When I hear people pray and it sounds so wonderful and awesome, that's how I am. And I'm like, I could never do that, but I can do this one. You can do this one. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. You know, a lot of people that I have personally met. This is even myself at times. We have sunk because we refuse to ask for help. We sink because of this thing called pride. And, And pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. And it puts us as the engineer on the Hell Express, pride. It's a dangerous thing. But Peter threw it all aside. Peter threw aside the spiritual high. Peter threw a high the, oh, we were awesome. We have arrived. We have done great things. We are with the master of the miraculous, and everything is awesome, and I'm great, and I'm doing this. And he he threw it all aside, and he said, save me, Lord. Let's say that on three. One, two, three. Save me, Lord. See, I would have been like, this is why I'm not Jesus. I would have been like, nah, uh uh-uh. I don't know, man, like you were big and bad on the other side taking selfies with people. Like what, you can't swim? You can't like dog paddle yourself over to the boat? Like that's how I would have been. But Jesus, I love this. The Bible says as soon as Peter cried out, as soon as he said, save me, Lord, immediately, Jesus reached out and grabbed him. Now let me ask you this question. Did the storm stop? No. No. The difference is that is Peter's holding on to Jesus, and Jesus is holding on to Peter. And if he's holding on to Jesus, he's not going to sink. Immediately, he reached out, and he grabbed him. Immediately, as soon as Peter called for help. Somebody needs to hear this. As soon as you cry for help, immediately. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say no when we cry. Now, The help might not come the way we expect it or how fast we expect it, but he always shows up, and he reaches out his hand. And then he says this, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? You have so little faith, why did you doubt me? Now I have a what if scenario for this, and this is just my what if scenario, all right? This this is just Pastor Ryan, and I'm not teaching this, I'm not telling you this is what happened, I'm just, this what if. What if Jesus wasn't talking to Peter? Because there's 11 other disciples on the boat. What if he's holding Peter's hand, and he's looking at the other disciples and saying, hey, Yes, so little faith. Why don't you all step out the boat? Why aren't you walking on water? Why did not we together as a group take this thing all the way to the shore? It's just a possibility. I'm just throwing it out there. Because I know there's a Bible purist here, and you're saying, no, he was only talking to Peter. All right, cool. Let's go with that. He was talking to Peter. Only talking to Peter. Peter walks on the water. And Peter walks on the water with a little faith. Not great faith, not incredible faith, little faith. And so my question to you is what could God do in your life if you just had a little faith? What could God do in this church if we just had a little faith? Because see, this is only Matthew chapter 14. Peter confesses Jesus is Lord in Matthew 16. That's his effectual calling moment. But right here, he's learning about Jesus and he's got a little bit of faith. And his little bit of faith allowed him to do things that other people have never, ever done. See, one of the biggest prayers that we can pray as followers of Jesus is, Jesus, give me the faith to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. Jesus, give me the faith to follow you even when it doesn't make any sense. Because, see, it it doesn't make any sense to get out of the boat and walk on water. But give me the faith. Give me the faith to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. You have little faith. Why do you doubt me? Now, let me land the plane here. Let me kind of review this quick. Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, women, children, fifteen to 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And his disciples know, hey, something's going on. There's something special about this guy. He's, he's, he's awesome, but we're awesome too, and all this stuff is great. And then Jesus makes them get in the boat and go to the other side. He had to redirect their focus. Because watch what happens here in verse 32. When Peter and Jesus, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Why did the wind stop? Because Jesus, fully God and fully man, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the wind and the word are together in the boat. The the metaphors here are so awesome. I'm just nerding out a little bit. But isn't that cool? Because watch this, verse 33. Then the disciples worshipped him. Then... The disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Don't miss this. They didn't worship him on this side of the mountain when he did a miracle for 20,000 people. They worshiped him when he showed up in the middle of the storm and he was with them then. See, when Jesus brings you through a storm, when you get to the other side, that you don't have a problem with worship. When you understand, had it not been for him and his presence, we wouldn't be here. Oh, Jesus, I'm giving you my whole heart. Those who trust, It's, it's so awesome. It's great. That's not a problem. These guys worshiped him after the storm because it was only after the storm that they saw who he was. Maybe the reason God has brought you through that storm, maybe the reason you're in a storm, is to see who he is. And as we've said before, how do you know that he's a healer unless you need healing? How do you know he's a provider unless you need provided for? How do you know that he's the master of the miraculous until he brings you through and shows you that miracle? How do you know he's a savior if you don't understand that you need to be saved? Jesus is the master of the miraculous and he wants to work in your life. As we close out this series, let me just ask you a question that I asked you in week one. What miracle do you need to trust him for in your life? What miracle do you need to trust him for? Maybe it's time you you stop trying to do everything on your own. Maybe it's time you stop trying to calm your own storm and cry out to him, Lord, save me, even in the storm. Let's pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray over every single person in this room that's going through a storm. God, that we would just pause long enough to hear your voice that we would just slow down long enough to look around. God, that we would seize the, the negative thoughts of our mind and we would start listening for your word, that we would start listening for the wind to, to bring this, for the spirit to come in and, and make us understand that, Jesus, you are greater than our storm, that your strength in us is greater than our storm. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. And maybe your prayer where you're at, right where you sit, needs to be, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord, let me hear you. Maybe you're here and maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord, help me to take these negative thoughts captive. What is it you need to cry out to him? Maybe you're here and you've never cried out and given your life to Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you've never understood that you do need a savior and Jesus Christ died for your sins. Maybe you've heard it, but you've never applied it. And so today you wanna take that step and you wanna ask Jesus to come into your life. If that's you, right where you sit, you can just pray this prayer. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. And so today I confess my sin and I ask you to come into my life and save me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. And I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you did that to pay for my sin. And so today, I surrender my life to you. Come in and take over. Be my Lord, be my God, be my King, and be my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for saving me.